Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello and welcome to our final episode of Apollo 11 Beyond the Moon. Brian Stelter, CNN's chief media correspondent, and as I've been saying, here an amateur space buff, I'm always trying to learn more, and I think we've done that throughout this podcast series. We've been discussing the major themes that stem from the Apollo 11 film, CNN's already award-winning film that'll be premiering on television on CNN this summer. We've been speaking with the filmmakers, the NASA staffers who were there at the time, and even Michael Collins himself. So in this final episode, we're going to discuss the present and future of space travel. President Kennedy, of course, laid out the goal to put man on the moon. But now President Trump is aiming millions of miles further and wants to put men and women on Mars. The directive I'm signing today will refocus America's space program on human exploration and discovery. It marks an important step in returning American astronauts to the moon for the first time since 1972 for long-term exploration and use. This time, we will not only plant our flag and leave our footprint, we will establish a foundation for an eventual mission to Mars and perhaps someday to many worlds beyond. The 21st century space race has two very different paths. There's the public race that President Trump says he's working to win, and then there's the private race, funded by billionaires like Elon Musk and Richard Branson. Joining me now is someone who's been covering all of this, CNN innovation and space reporter Rachel Crane. Rachel, great to see you. Thank you for having me. You have one of the most interesting beats in the world. Uh, Yeah, I I agree with that, Brian. I think I actually have the coolest job at CNN, if I do say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) And you're covering both these paths. Uh, First, there's this government-funded side of the modern space race. President Trump wants a man on Mars— Is that a realistic goal? Well, it is a realistic goal, I would say, in our lifetime, Brian, but certainly not during Trump's administration. It's not going to happen anytime soon. So whether it's two more years or six more years. Okay, yeah, it's, it's definitely not happening in, in six more years. Um, at, you know, NASA had originally hoped to have boots on Mars in 2033, and they actually uh, commissioned uh, the Science and Technology Policy Institute to do a study about the feasibility of that, and that study was recently 
recently published, and it completely crushed uh, that timeline, saying that there's no way that it will be happen by 2033, maybe 2037, possibly. So I am an eternal optimist, uh, and I very much hope and I do believe that boots will be on Mars within our lifetime. But I I guess, you know, one thing to highlight, Brian, is life has to be really, really bad here on Earth for us to want to relocate to Mars. <laughs> so, you know, you know, you have uh, Branson and Bezos and, uh, you know, Musk talking about wanting to create a self-sustaining colony on Mars. But, you know, life on Mars is really would be really, really difficult. It's really hard. Yeah, it's incredibly cold. It's this uh, dry desert land that has a very thin atmosphere that's composed, mm. you know, maize mainly of carbon dioxide, no magnetic field, really, uh, to protect uh, the surface. So, um, you know, it would be mainly living in caves, uh, constantly in a spacesuit to prevent your, you know, from freezing and your blood from vaporizing. It wouldn't be a a pleasant experience. But I'm not trying to live there. I'm just trying to visit. Right. I just want a vacation there. Why is it going to take at least 15 or 20 years uh, for the government to get there? Well, I mean, there's a lot of red tape when it comes to the government. You know, there's yeah, but it's their own tape, right? It's their own tape. If anybody should be able to cut it, it should be them, right? But and you know, there it's it's interesting to highlight that this a company called Mars One once charged people with the opportunity to have a one way trip to Mars, <laughs> and over two hundred thousand people. Uh, raised their hands and applied for it. So, you know, there is interest in a one-way trip to Mars, but NASA certainly will not be, uh, you know, pressing go on that. It will have to be a return trip. It has to be incredibly safe. All the systems and technologies need to be tested, tested, and tested again. Um, And a lot of people think that we are a little too risk-adverse when it comes to space exploration because being making sure everything is done safely takes a lot of time takes a lot a lot of money and that's where the the those timelines begin to slip but reusability has been a big thing a big nut to crack in terms of getting to mars and spacex and elon musk have proven that you know they can land a falcon 9 and launch it right again so reusability that nut has now been cracked of course they they will be much much larger rockets that are bringing us to mars but the fact that they've even proven that technology um that they can that they can do this pull it off reuse a rocket mm. uh is a huge a huge achievement and you were there for uh, the falcon heavy launch in february of 2018 what did that feel like Oh, my goodness. I mean, being there for that launch, it really felt like a historic moment. Um, I felt the rumble of the rocket. I was speechless when I was doing my live hits, Brian. And then I was, you know, jumping up for joy when I felt (laughs) the sonic booms and heard them. But it really felt like we were at the dawn of a new space age, that these massive rockets were once again lifting off from American soil. The space community was about to, you know, we were on the cusp of something really new and exciting. And it was happening thanks to private industry. Exactly. Is it it fair to say that 
it's those companies that are being more innovative right now than the government? Oh, absolutely. By, by a factor of 10 or something? Yes. And the government knows it. The SLS um, is the rocket that will be bringing us hopefully back to the moon. Trump wants that now to be in 2024. Yeah, we should talk about what it means to go back to the moon first. Right. Yeah. One point that I also want to make about to just return to talking about Mars and how difficult it is uh, or if it will happen in our lifetime. There's a lot of technology that needs to be developed in order for this to be pulled off. You need to develop life support systems, habitats, technologies and practices that could get us uh, there and back safely. And it's really important to remember that over half of missions and probes to Mars have failed. So it's really, really difficult to land something safely on Mars. And if you're going to have it be people... And it'll be on the national. St- I mean, think about the right, the world will be watching. the media right. coverage of this. The world will and would be watching if and when we land on Mars. And you certainly don't want a catastrophic event like um, you know we saw with the Challenger Columbia. They'd want to make sure to get it right. It's also important to celebrate the big successes like Curiosity and Rest in Peace Opportunity. Those rovers that were <laughs> a huge, huge uh, feather in the cap. Yeah, and those moments, those moments are inspiring. Th- those moments give people hope and they make people think about what it would mean to be on Mars and, and what it means to make this progress. Of course. But just in, in regards to if this is going to happen in our lifetime, the fact that, you know, over half of the missions to Mars have failed highlights just how difficult it is to land something there and how careful we have to be when, when planning these missions. Because certainly if it's a manned mission, it, we're talking about human lives on the line and, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars to pull that off. And yet I think it's so important for my daughter for your son, for children of all ages, for, for people of all ages to see this happen, oh. to see something like this happen. So so that, that takes us to the moon question. Right. Why go back to the moon? What's the value besides the, uh, the, the feel-good moment of it all? Okay, so it's important to highlight that, you know, there's been this ping-pong match um, from administration to administration. Like, are we going to go back to the moon? Or are we over the moon? Mars has always been a priority of NASA. Now, under the Trump administration, we've returned to this idea of using the moon as a stepping stone to get to Mars. And there's the Gateway Program, which is uh, tr- President Trump wants to also speed up the timeline of our return to the moon in order to speed up the timeline of getting to Mars. We were supposed to return to the moon in 2028. Now Mike Pence has just said that we're going to be challenging NASA to do it by 2024. Will they be able to do that? Unclear at this point, but that would um, mean that we'd be able to test all the systems that would eventually get us to Mars with these lunar missions. As we talk about this, we talk about these timelines. I can't help but wonder if China will beat the U.S. on any of these missions. To quote Mike Pence for a minute, he said recently, quote, make no mistake about it. We are in a space race today, just as we were in the 1960s, and the stakes are even higher. And he said that at um, the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama, at a National Space Council meeting. He's inciting that we're in this space race. And who are we racing against? Well, it would be Russia and China. China did recently land on the dark side of the moon. But there's a lot of questions of what China's manned space program and their plans for uh, lunar activity actually are. You have the head of NASA then saying um, that the race is actually over, 
that we went to the moon and we won. The mm. space race is done. And yeah. now we're in a position where it, we can take our time and make sure we get it right. So you have the administration sort of inciting this rhetoric of that there's this heated race and China, you know, it's us against China. But in actuality, you have the people, the head of NASA saying that we're not in a race. Is the administration trying to incite that rhetoric to speed up the timeline and maybe have one of these missions happen within a Trump presidency? Perhaps. All I know is that if I win one race, it makes me want to go and win another. But that's just me. No, that's me too. Let's win this race. Let's let's get to Mars first, right, Bri? Rachel, thanks so much. Great talking with you. Thanks for having me. Up next, the future of private space travel. Buy your ticket and come join Miles O'Brien and myself right after the break. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on Sleep Number Special Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And we're back on Apollo 11 Beyond the Moon. So let's imagine planning your next family vacation, but instead of a trip to the beach or skiing in the mountains, you and your family board a spaceship to orbit the Earth. This could, hopefully, soon become a reality if you have a quarter of a million dollars to blow. Uh, Joining me now is the space correspondent for PBS News and a CNN contributor, Miles O'Brien. Hey, Brian. Miles, would you buy a ticket? Would, Would you be up there if you could? Oh, of course I would. Absolutely. In a heartbeat. Uh, Yes. Uh, Now, would I want to take, you know, the kids on vacation up there? I mean, it brings new meaning to the phrase, are we there yet? Uh, And, you know, make sure you bring the six sacks. But I think uh, it would be an extraordinary opportunity. Um, I was close to going to space as a journalist years ago. Oh, that's right. And it was uh, a great disappointment that that didn't happen for me. Of course, that was in the context of a much greater national tragedy, which is to say the loss of Columbia. So it was difficult to cry too many tears when it was in that context. But maybe one of these days it will happen. 
maybe one of these days. But how rich will we have to be to get these tickets? A little too rich for my taste, you know. I've, <laughs> I've been trying to, you know, convince the powers that be, which is to say the likes of Elon Musk, that uh, there's great promotional value in bringing the likes of me along, but they're not easily persuaded when they've got a waiting list of people who are willing to part with cold, hard cash to have the privilege of going to space and saying, I'm an astronaut. I mean, that's that's good bragging rights at a cocktail party, I think. It is pretty good. How close are these private companies to actually launching this? Well, you know, we've been talking about this for such a long time now. You know, this really goes back to the XPRIZE days uh, when Bert Rutan and his team at Scaled Composites out of Mojave successfully won that prize funded by the Ansari family which put a private astronaut to the edge of space twice in about 10 days, if I recall the, the dates correctly. And we thought mm. it was all going to happen, you know, within a few years' time. But it's been slow going, and it's perilous. And, you know, it's a cliche, but it's true. Space is hard. And uh, there are um, there have been some accidents along the way, delays along the way, and uh, slowly but surely we're getting there. But it's not, it's not an easy thing. As a correspondent who's been living in this world for, for decades, is this the most interesting time to be covering space since the days of Apollo? I mean, is there more going on now, given all of these private companies and their excursions? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I had the great fortune to work with Walter Cronkite on CNN covering John Glenn's second flight to space, STS-95, the shuttle mission, back in 1998. And he was regaling me with all these amazing stories of, you know, driving the CBS station wagon to Cape Canaveral and waiting, <laughs> waiting on the jetty to see when they would light up one of the launch gantries and sussing out the mm. fact that there might be a launch there and having the photographer wait there to shoot the launch, which was secret at the time. And and right. then what would happen was they, uh, they, they, the engineers would, they would be dismissed if there was a scrub, the ones that were non-essential, and they'd all go to a particular bar. And so Walter got to know the owner of the bar. And whenever they <laughs> showed up for drinks, he would send a runner out to Walter and say, hey, no launch tonight. And so then he would go and they'd all have cocktails and and regaled them with tales of the, the attempted launch. And there was a sense of intimacy with the program back in those days, which is kind of where we're coming back to in some respects. What areas, what parts give you the most optimism right now? Where should we be paying the most attention? Well, it's hard not to look at the the, the field and, and look at Elon Musk and what he is doing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos has been much more secretive about his efforts with Blue Origin. Uh, Elon is is a much more public player, as it were. And having mm. having those NASA contracts to fly cargo missions to the space station and uh, being a part of the commercial crew effort, ultimately, uh, hopefully flying uh, NASA astronauts to the space station, uh, puts him right at the at the top of the list. These are difficult missions, and you know, it going to space and to orbit is very different than what uh, Virgin Galactic is attempting with these short suborbital flights. So uh, when I look at what he's accomplished, uh, it is uh, extraordinary. You know, NASA has never built a rocket. It's always been Lockheed Martin or Boeing or somebody who's done the work. It's just a question of how they're supervising. And Elon has more autonomy, obviously. How different 
will space look in 50 or 100 years? How will the average person's relationship with space change in the next 50 to 100 years? Well, it's a good question, but I, I, you know, I, I'm very hopeful that by the mid-2030s, we will have some kind of outpost, some kind of presence on Mars. And, and that's going to be a very significant step. Mars is the next logical thing. And 50 years from now, I suspect, uh, when you and I have this conversation, <laughs> if, we're, if we're lucky, we'll, <laughs> we'll be able to talk about how they're doing uh, in this nascent Mars colony. Let's hope so, because 50 years since Apollo 11, and I, I kind of worry if we've fallen behind. You kind of have this perception that uh, we were more advanced then, <laughs> standing on the moon, uh, than, than, than we are today. It's, it's really, uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, Brian, the, the anniversary um, makes me sad. It really does, because I, I think of what we did 50 years ago, and I think about what I envisioned when I was 10 years old watching that. Uh, I certainly thought we'd be well into life on Mars by now deep into it. And we never got there. We got distracted with the space shuttle program. And we, you know, of course, things in the 60s were tumultuous on several other levels. Money and attention and focus got put in other directions. So it's a sad anniversary to me. And uh, I hope that, uh, God forbid, uh, on the 100th anniversary, that uh, we aren't bemoaning the fact that we haven't gotten much further than low Earth orbit. Wrapping up here, since you've spent so much time covering NASA, you you know the astronauts well, you, you know what makes them tick. At the heart of the Apollo 11 film, it is about uh, those three men and then the thousands that are surrounding them, getting them to the moon. What can we learn from the astronauts and from their uh teams of supporters? What, what can we learn from what happened 50 years ago? You know, I always try to focus on the, the fact that those three represent this amazing enterprise. You know, this is something that Neil Armstrong tried to articulate all through his life. He was very uncomfortable in the spotlight. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that he felt he was taking credit for the accomplishments of thousands. It's a little bit like being a TV anchor, frankly, right? You're, you're the one sitting, <laughs> point. You're sitting on the set and uh, you're, you're getting all the credit. And yet you can almost feel the force of, of a CNN news operation behind you during a breaking news event. And it's kind of oh, like thousand percent. It's kind of like being the astronaut on the rocket. I always describe it to uh, people that way, that I, I'm at the tippy top of the rocket getting a lot of the credit. But none of this is going to happen without all those people behind me in that newsroom scrambling around. And that's a that's a lot of what it is to be an astronaut. You, you, you're taking some risk. Yes. Uh, but you're also getting a disproportionate amount of credit, I think. And so it's very important, I think, that we think, uh, as we mark this 50th anniversary, we think about the 20-somethings. And these were 20-something-year-old people in the trenches in mission control, making absolute life and death decisions individually, in some cases, in, in incredibly pressure-packed moments. And succeeding. And it, that is that to me is what is the marvel of Apollo, that 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 impressive 
coordination of effort, of teamwork in an incredibly complex endeavor. And what you alluded to was, in essence, a 21st century accomplishment inserted into the mid-20th century. <laughs> right. And, and we did it. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things that lined up. We had, we had the, the Cold War uh, rivalry. We, we, had, uh, we wanted to honor the wishes of a martyred president. And we had a blank checkbook. And we did it. And that, to me, uh, is an amazing thing. I really hope I can watch you anchor one of these missions in the future, whether it's the moon or Mars. Uh, and then, hey, I'm sure there'll be movies made about that. Uh, Miles, thanks so much for, for being with me and, and talking us through Apollo 11. But by the way, what's your favorite scene from the film? It really, it, it's a breathtaking film. Too many scenes to enumerate. I, I just tell you this. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, Brian, I, I thought I had seen everything and heard everything. Uh, as it relates to material that, that NASA shot. And it's amazing the stuff yeah. they shot and, and the quality of the filmmaking, frankly, that they commissioned is extraordinary to me. But the way this was, you know, remastered, presented, polished up and presented, it is an extraordinary film. And really, I thought I'm the guy who thinks he's seen everything. I watched this <laughs> film. I was blown away. I, I highly recommend it to anybody. Miles, thanks so much. You're welcome. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. It's been so much fun going through the Apollo 11 mission, talking about the importance of the mission 50 years ago, the consequences now, today, and possible missions in the future. It's been so much fun talking about Apollo 11, the mission, and Apollo 11, the movie, one of the most incredible CNN films uh, that I've ever seen. The CNN film will be airing this summer on television. If you haven't seen it yet, you will be, as Miles said, blown away by it. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Stelter, and this has been Apollo 11 Beyond the Moon. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.